Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. And welcome back. Craig Whitlock with us, of course. His latest book is called The Afghanistan Papers. Of course, your uh, colleague uh, Bob Woodward uh, has uh, made some headlines this week with his book, Peril, Craig. That's right. Bob usually makes a big splash. I mean, he's, <laughs> he's in his 70s, but he's still going strong. He gets the stories nobody else can. He's a good reporter, isn't he? He's a great reporter. I've had the fortune to work with him on a few subjects, and boy, he's he's really thorough. He triple-checks everything, and he's got a real talent for getting people to talk. What an amazing story that is. Now, back to Afghanistan, of course. Were we as Americans duped by U.S. officials? I think we were. Uh, as the war started to worsen and the Taliban started to get stronger, uh, again, we were told by the generals uh, month after month, year after year, that uh, we were making progress in the war, and they would say that the Taliban couldn't possibly win, and that you know victory was around the corner. So you know certainly this message that was being delivered to Americans, uh, you know, didn't add up. We were duped, and I think everybody could see the results last month when the Taliban took over. I mean, there was no question who won the war, and it wasn't our side. No, it, it was not. And I'll always remember that sad story of the former football player, Pat Tillman, who left the NFL to become a, a Army Ranger and was killed by friendly fire. Well, and George, that's another example early on in the war where the truth was withheld from the American people. The Army at first made it out like he was heroically killed by the enemy, and only later, after subsequent investigations, did the public learn that he was in fact killed by friendly fire? And this was, you know, something that the the U.S. Army didn't didn't want to own up to. They, you know, they wanted the narrative that Tillman had been killed heroically by the Taliban when, you know, that wasn't the case at all. That's that's just one example. We see this time and again, whether it's individual events in Afghanistan or the broader message over the course of the war. You know, the U.S. military just wasn't straight with us about what was happening. After U.S. officials saw what they could do with Afghanistan and with us accepting it, is that when they decided to go back into Iraq? I think they decided to go into Iraq very quickly after September 11th. They thought we had defeated the Taliban, that the Taliban was vanquished within three, four months. And so the planning to invade Iraq... Uh, started to really accelerate just as early as December 2001. Uh, the best example of this from my book, I obtained a memo that former Defense Secretary Donald Rumsfeld had written just uh, a, one year into the war. He talked about in this memo how he went to the Oval Office to meet with President Bush, and he told the president, uh, I've got two generals in town who I think you should meet with. One is General Tommy Franks, who is the commander of all U.S. military operations in the Middle East, including Iraq, and the other one's General Dan McNeil. And Bush replied, well, yeah, Tommy Franks, I want to meet with him because, you know, we want to go over the war plans for Iraq, uh, but who's General McNeil? And uh, Rumsfeld responded, well, McNeil's the commander in Afghanistan. Here's your top general in Afghanistan. And Bush replied, oh, well, I don't need to meet with him. Jeez. So that's an example of how Bush had really just stopped paying attention to what was going on in Afghanistan. He forgot the name of his top general there, and he was just entirely focused on Iraq. How much of a uh, problem was the late Defense Secretary Donald Rumsfeld in this situation? Well, you know, in terms of 
his management of the war in Afghanistan, it, you know, it wasn't very good in retrospect. I think people recall his role in Iraq and persuading the American people that we needed to go to Iraq to go after weapons of mass destruction. But, you know, like Bush, he stopped paying attention to Afghanistan. He was, in the early years, he was very, very reluctant to send many troops to Afghanistan or use the military in any way to stabilize the country, because uh, correctly, he was worried that we might get bogged down, like in Vietnam. But in those early years, when the Taliban was the weakest, that's when we probably could have done the most to stabilize the country. And as the years went on, the Taliban got stronger. Uh, it, was, it was clear it had become too late. We tried to overcome that under President Obama by sending a surge force of 100,000 troops into Afghanistan. But I think the seeds of defeat had been planted early on. When we found out that bin Laden was hiding away in Tora Bora, that mountain region of Afghanistan, why didn't we just nuke that mountain and take it down? Well, one, we tend to not to like to use nukes because that sets off all sorts of issues, but we certainly could have gone in with more troops. And this is something that's still debated to this day. Why did the U.S. military leadership, why was it reluctant to send more troops? At the time, the generals in charge said they were worried about U.S. troops uh, getting bogged down in Afghanistan and alienating the Afghans and being seen as an occupying force. But in hindsight, this was obviously a, a huge blunder that we didn't commit the forces that troops on the ground were asking for to go into Tora Bora and seal, seal off bin Laden's escape. And as everybody knows, it took 10 more years before we could find him again in Pakistan. Absolutely. So now the Taliban is back. Who's ISIS, Craig? Well, what are they? ISIS is an acronym for Islamic State, and the affiliate or chapter they have in Afghanistan and Pakistan is sometimes called ISIS-K or for Khorasan, which is sort of a classical Arabic name for that part of the world. Uh, but ISIS is actually at odds with the Taliban. They're, they're hostile to each other because, believe it or not, ISIS thinks the Taliban's too moderate, that the Taliban uh, isn't strict enough. So they've actually been fighting each other for a number of years, the United States on some occasions has actually helped the Taliban fight ISIS. The other big difference between the two is the Taliban's ideology or worldview is really just focused on Afghanistan and Pakistan. They aren't focused on what goes on in the rest of the world, whereas ISIS really has this much bigger worldview and ideology where they'd like to see an Islamic state, which is part of their name, uh, throughout South Asia and the Middle East. Is Al-Qaeda gone or are they still around? They're still around a little bit. They're, you know, for the last 10 years, the U.S. military has assessed that there's fewer than 100 al-Qaeda fighters or sympathizers in all of Afghanistan at any given time. So that's compared to, say, 60 or 70 or 80,000 fighters for the Taliban. It's, it's a very small presence. Uh, we really, again, al-Qaeda had been kicked out of Afghanistan or killed or destroyed uh, not long after we went in in 2001. Right. The, the big worry now is with the Taliban in charge of the whole country and having control of the entire territory, would this allow al-Qaeda to come back in? Would they offer them a refuge again? And this, is, of course, is a question nobody knows the answer to. Why did they offer them a refuge in the beginning? Could they just not get them out? Well, I think they were friendly with them. They Al-Qaeda had uh, some of its leaders, including bin Laden, had helped the Mujahideen, the, the Holy Warriors... As we, as we did, too. That, that's right, and helped us fight the Soviets. So 
the Taliban leaders were friendly with al-Qaeda. They saw them as allies in that regard. At the same time, I think it is important to point out that you know, there were no Afghans involved in the 9-11 attacks. It was actually mostly Saudis, That's and this right. was an al-Qaeda operation, and there's no indication that the Taliban knew about it. I don't want to separate them entirely from al-Qaeda, because certainly they're sympathetic to each other, and the Taliban had offered al-Qaeda refuge, and you know, there's no sign yet that they would uh, swear them off. You know, that's the big worry. Can al-Qaeda come back? And China, of course, is going to walk right in the door in Afghanistan, aren't they? Well, so far, the signs are that the Taliban is pretty friendly with China. I think they see them as a source of, of income, as a source of aid. Uh, they're a neighbor and part of Afghanistan. Uh, but what's interesting is the Taliban doesn't seem to mind too much China's uh, brutal human rights record with Muslims in some of its provinces. That seems to be something that the Taliban uh, is sort of dismissing, and they would rather have support from some outside power. They know they're not going to get it from the United States, so they're they're turning to China, and frankly, they're going to turn to Russia, too. What did the Soviet Union at the time want with Afghanistan? Why did they even go in there? They wanted to install a communist government, one that would essentially they could control as a puppet, and they were concerned that Afghanistan was uh, wiggling loose from its sphere of influence, so to speak. So they went in in 1975 uh, after a coup to try and install their own strongmen in Afghanistan. I had written, I had read, read a, a poem by Rudyard Kipling after we had evacuated Afghanistan, and it was that short little poem about a, a British soldier lying on the fields of Afghanistan, and in uh, in the poem, and I'm paraphrasing it. Kipling writes, when the women come to tear out your body parts, roll to your rifle and go to your God. And but, but that little poem told me that every nation has tried to occupy Afghanistan and none has been successful. That's right. And I think this is something, again, the United States failed to learn the lessons of history, even though they were staring us right in the face. That I mean, the fact that we kept U.S. troops here for 20 years, uh, even Afghans who were inclined to support the United States, they, they still would see us as occupying forces. Uh, you know, they, they saw us as the foreign infidels in some regards. And so, you know, try as we might to get the Afghan people on our side and to support the Afghan government, there's still a tremendous amount of resentment because, you know, this war had been continuing for 20 years. The Afghan people suffered terribly under this. Now, certainly the Taliban bears the biggest portion of the blame for that, but a lot of Afghans just resented having foreign troops there for 20 years because, you know, before us, of course, the Soviets had been there. So really, they see the past 30 years uh, as, as a big, long, unbroken string of, of foreign occupation and war. And I think, understandably, they're, they're just tired of all that. On an A, B, C, D, or E, what grade would you give George Bush for his handling of Afghanistan? Well, I'd give him an A for the first few months. Uh, then a C, and then an F in the end. I mean, he, he failed to stabilize the country. He won the war at first, but then he, he stopped paying attention and shifted his, his attention to Iraq. Yeah. And that, that let the whole thing slip through our grasp. How about Barack Obama? What would you give him? Well, not much better. I mean, he had promised also, like Bush, that we would prevail in Afghanistan. He sent far more forces, spent far more money in Afghanistan trying to build it up trying to create this Afghan army and police force. But, you know, in retrospect, that was a failure, too, because we have nothing to show for it. Donald Trump. Same thing. I mean, he, he wasn't 
responsible as long as Bush or Obama for the war, but he also promised victory. Uh, he tried to negotiate with the Taliban to negotiate a peaceful end, but again, in the end, that didn't work either. I mean, none of these presidents can claim that the strategies they, they endorsed to the American people worked in the end in any fashion. And how about Joe Biden? What would he get? Well, I, you know, I'm going to be careful about handing out grades. I think with Biden, we'll have to see, right? I mean, he promised to leave Afghanistan. Uh, so, so far, whether, you know, it was certainly a mess the way it happened, but he kept his promise. But we're going to have to wait and see what the consequences are in the coming years with the Taliban being in charge. I think what they should have done was evacuate first before they took the troops out. That would have been the smart thing to do. But like you said, I don't think they anticipated the country collapsing overnight. They clearly didn't. Uh, That said, I think they were concerned that if they started to evacuate Afghans who had helped us during the war, this would trigger a panic. Oh, no question. It was between a rock and a hard place. If they trigger that panic, uh, then things might get bad. But because they didn't evacuate people early enough, you know, it just looked even worse. So I, they just didn't have a clear-cut plan for what happened. Craig, what lessons have we learned, if we have learned anything, about this situation? I think the biggest lesson for the documents I obtained for my book was, believe it or not, the mission was never really spelled out. There wasn't a clear objective or goal of what we were trying to accomplish in right. Afghanistan. At first, there was when we thought we were going to Afghanistan to eliminate al-Qaeda. But as we discussed, George, that happened within a few months. But then the mission got really blurry and mission creep set in. And it was unclear what we were trying to do there and at what point could we leave. We never really spelled out under Bush, Obama, or Trump what we had to actually do in order to leave. It was all sort of vague that we were building up the Afghan government, that we were fighting the Taliban, that we were trying to improve rights for women and children, uh, that we were trying to fight uh, narcotics because Afghanistan produces more opium than any other country in the world. So we were kind of all over the map, and that more than anything is why we were there for 20 years. Just tragic, though, the whole situation, isn't it? There's, it's really hard to see any lasting good coming out of the longest war in American history. And what message has this whole situation sent to our allies or countries that may need us to defend them? Certainly our NATO allies were unhappy with how the evacuation happened under Biden. They felt like they weren't consulted very much, and yet they were dependent on the United States to a large degree for security in Kabul, and particularly at the airport, so they could get their citizens out. So I think they felt like the evacuation, the withdrawal, was not handled well. Uh, Long term, though, I think what this really underscores is, you know, the United States is an unrivaled military power. We're the only country that can project this kind of military force anywhere in the world, and our European and Canadian allies really depend on us for this, and Uh, They don't have much elsewhere to turn in a situation, a crisis like this, that happens anywhere. What happened to the Afghan fighters? They just, like, ran away. Where'd they go? Well, the Afghan, (laughs) they didn't go very far. They switched sides. And the Afghan way of war, because they've been invaded so much and had civil war for so many years, so many factions, they're pretty good at putting their finger to the wind to see which way it's blowing and who's going to come out the victor and it the last several months when they saw that the Taliban was ascendant, they're like, well, we're not going to 
fight to the death here. We want to be on the winning side. So they switched over to the Taliban when the Taliban said, look, you can come join us and we won't kill you. Or you can go down fighting, and for many Afghan soldiers, that was an easy choice. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern, and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.